before. And we're going to continue and the Lord willing finish the message we started last week. But 1 Samuel 24 is where we'll be and uh, finishing up this chapter here. Uh, let's all stand as you turn. 1 Samuel 24, and we will dismiss our junior church age class at this time. Walk. We're going to walk carefully. Canaan, go ahead and walk out. And Bella. All right, class, go on out. All right, title of the message here is From Darkness into Light. And uh, we see a couple of uh, instances with the, with the two primary characters we see in uh, scriptures here, how that uh, happened. And <clears throat> although David was in darkness in that cave, he responded with the light of the Lord in his heart. He was, uh, I believe he was led by the Spirit of God, although he didn't have the indwelling of the Spirit of God at the time, to my knowledge. Um, he certainly acted sensitively toward the leading of God. And we see in 1 Samuel 24, beginning in verse number 1, Sammy, get your Bible and open it up. All right, stand properly. First Samuel 24, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says this. You can huddle with mom here. The Bible doesn't say that. Uh, in verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel, out of all Israel, and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, which God did not say this, the men are making this up to encourage David to kill uh, Saul, he said, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. Lord, thank you for the time of uh, praise we've had. And Lord, may it uh, bless my heart. Lord, I pray that it blessed your heart as well. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, speak to our hearts now from your word. Help me to be a spirit-filled preacher. And uh, would, we, would your word fall, would the seed fall upon uh, receptive and, and good soil here? May we take it to heart apply it to our lives. Lord, I thank you for the examples and illustration you give us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, title of the message again is From Darkness Unto Light, and at this time of David's life, we're basically doing a study through 
uh, chapter by chapter here in, in uh, the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be into 2 Samuel here uh, shortly, but uh, uh, the future King David is running for his life. Uh, he had been anointed by God to be the future king. Well, there's a problem. There, there's already a king uh, on the throne. There's already a king ruling uh, Judah, and his name is uh, uh, Saul. And Saul, uh, the Bible says that uh, the Lord had basically uh, turned Saul's heart away. He was disobedient in a couple of different capacities, and so uh, the Lord is now taking the kingdom away from Saul. Uh, Saul learns that David is going to be the king, and so now Saul wants to kill future King David, so that doesn't happen. And uh, he's unsuccessful at being able to do it, but we find ourselves in the midst of the story as Saul is trying to do so. And uh, now David, he has fled, he is hiding in a cave, and uh, the Lord, uh, David has 600 men with him. Uh, Saul has about 3,000 men, I believe the Bible says, with him. And uh, Saul uh, is going to take a break. And so Saul goes into this very cave where David and his 600 men are hiding out. And uh, Saul goes in there. I don't believe all of Saul's 3,000 men go into this cave. Maybe a small entourage, I would imagine. Uh, but Saul goes into this cave and he, uh, he uh, I believe he ends up uh, laying down, uh, taking a rest. And uh, then the Bible says that uh, David's men come to him and they say, now, this is the time that you can kill Saul. This is the time that the Lord was saying that you can, you can kill Saul and take the kingdom now, and you don't have to worry about him chasing you any longer. And uh, God didn't say that, though. The men made that up. They knew that he was gonna, David would be king, uh, but they made up this story that God had told David that he was supposed to kill uh, King Saul. And so uh, David said, David responded, he went and he snuck down to where Saul was, where he was sleeping, I believe, and uh, he didn't kill him, but he cut off a portion of his robe, and then he went back up to his men, and he said, I uh, had the opportunity to do so, but the Lord smote my heart, Spirit of God spoke to my heart, and said, I'm not supposed to kill to touch the Lord's anointed. That King Saul, God anointed him, God put him in the position that he is. Who am I to kill the person that God put in that position? And so David showed restraint. He, re he showed sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Which brings me to the first point. Now, we're going to cover these first two points here quickly. In this chapter, we see the, uh, further the, the great character of David. And uh, when we start off, we see David in the cave there. He had the opportunity to kill Saul, but but uh, he allowed God to restrain him from doing so. Now, and so, first point is this. Uh, well, actually, we see Saul on the rocks. We see Saul on the rocks. And one of the main points, though, is this, that God, uh, David showed restraint. And when a person gets saved, now, I'm not saying, I, I believe David looked for the coming Messiah by faith and salvation. Now we look back to the Messiah who's already come, by faith and to salvation, that's how we get saved, the same way, by grace, through faith. And, uh, but, but David showed sensitivity to the Spirit of God. When a person gets saved, they become a new creature. The Bible says, old things have passed away, behold, all is become new. There's a, there's a, there's a, 
uh, there's a transformation that takes place or should take place in the life of a believer. And I believe if somebody's truly saved, there is a, there is a transformation that takes place. Uh, it, may, it may be that you got saved. You, you, you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, um, and there's where, that's where church comes into play. Church is an important place. It's an important assembly in the life of a believer. A Christian is not going to grow how they ought to, how God wants them to, unless they are assembling frequently and regularly at a local church getting instruction from the Word of God. Since you've been saved, do you have growth in your life? Or maybe here this morning you have not been saved. You've yet to trust Christ as your personal Savior. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. God wants you. God is looking down from heaven at this time if you're not saved, and He's, he's up there thinking, oh, I hope my child will look to me and trust me as personal Savior. I hope they'll understand their, their need for me uh, to get saved, to call upon me, that they'll acknowledge their sin condition. The Bible says we are all sinners and we're all born into sin for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, we don't deserve to go to heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. There's no sin, sorrow, suffering in heaven. And if God was to let sin into heaven, it would no longer be a perfect place. And so a just, righteous, holy God will not let sin into heaven. And so we need a Savior and there's where Jesus comes into play. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Me should not perish but have everlasting life. If we will by faith acknowledge our sin and receive Christ as our Savior, apply His blood to our sinful account, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the day that a person does that is the day they get born again. It's the day that they get born spiritually into God's family and they become a child of God. Maybe today needs to be the day when you get saved. Well, when somebody does get saved, that transformation takes place. They're no longer an old sinner any longer, but they're a new creature in Christ. We've got the Spirit of God living in us and abiding in us and desiring to lead us and to guide us in righteousness and to teach us who to vote for come election time. How do we know who to vote for? We make discernment and judgment by scriptural principles. And uh, so in this story here, we see that Saul was on the rocks proverbially. Uh, proverbially here. Uh, he was on the rocks. Uh, we see that uh, Saul had come to this cave and David could have taken his life, but David was sensitive to God in his life. And he knew that, uh, that he shouldn't do that because God had placed Saul where he was. And so uh, David was sensitive to the Spirit of God. When a person gets saved, you develop a sensitivity to the Spirit of God. We ought to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, this goes. This is contrary to our flesh, if that makes sense to you. Uh, this is contrary to, way, to what we want to do. We need to be yielded to the Spirit of God and what He wants us to do. My flesh doesn't want to be a preacher. My carnal self never would have, in a million years, would have ever thought that I'd be a pastor, a preacher, doing anything spiritual. The flesh doesn't want to do spiritual things. 
It's the Spirit of God that we need to yield to that helps us and enables us to do the right things that God wants us to do. And so David was yielded to God's voice, his, that still small voice of the Holy Spirit of God. And David said, the Bible says David's heart smote him that he would even consider uh, taking the life of Saul. And he says, who am I to, to stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed? And so he, he exercised restraint and he couldn't have done it. He didn't do it because of that. I want to ask you, believer, I want to ask you, Christian, here this morning, when is the last time the Spirit of God spoke to your heart? Maybe he's, maybe he's speaking to you right now. Maybe uh, there is something, there is a prompting of the Spirit of God that he's wanted you to do. He's wanted to get you to get more involved in uh, your local church somehow. He's maybe wanted you uh, to witness to a loved one, and uh, you just are maybe disregarding the voice of the Spirit of God. Don't do that. Let's not grieve the Spirit of God. Let's not, let's not, uh, let's not drown out the, the Spirit of God. How has God spoken to you from His Word lately? He desires to speak to us every day. We sang the song in a junior church class, uh, Sunday school this morning. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow. You start off down here like this, right? You'll grow, grow, grow. Don't read your Bible, forget to pray, and you shrink, shrink, shrink. And then we ask the kids, how many of you grew this week because you read your Bible? Uh, the average is getting a little better. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, that's, that's the truth. That's how we grow spiritually. And so David uh, was uh, sensitive to the Spirit of God. Saul was on the rocks. David was sensitive to the Spirit of God. Uh, we see that uh, David had to resist the voice of a well-meaning friend. His friend said, yeah, kill Saul. Now's your opportunity to avenge him, and so he won't be chasing you any longer. Well, David had to resist that. I wonder how many of us have to resist the voices of well-meaning friends every day. I believe in good scriptural, biblical counsel, and this would have been a very difficult thing here uh, for me to resist. Man, if somebody's chasing my life and I got the opportunity to, to get rid of that problem, I probably would have taken advantage of that. Well, David was in tune with God, and he didn't do that. And so uh, peer pressure is a real thing. It can be a real problem. It can be an encouragement or it can be a tragedy in life. And so uh, we see David's decision. David arose. He cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. He didn't kill him, uh, but he showed that he had the power to do so, and he showed restraint. And then uh, the voice of the Lord spoke to David, and that voice of the Lord was his conscience saying, uh, who am I uh, to stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed? Number three, our third point that we're going to get into, we only have one more after this. And so we're, we're now caught up to where we left off last week. And so I want you to see in this story here, the life of David, David and his petition of right. David and his petition of right. Now, if you're here on Wednesday night, I gave you a start, uh, uh, a great contrast between David and Uriah. When we put up the characters of David and Uriah together, there's a great contrast of of virtue, uh, David was vile, uh, and uh, Uriah was, what was my V word, anybody remember? I was afraid of that. Uh, David was vile, 
uh, and uh, uh, Uriah was loyal. Uh, David was L. It's just a stark contrast. I shouldn't get off on this here, but but uh, so I we really saw David in bad light on Wednesday night, but this morning uh, we see him in good light once again. And one of the reasons, and I believe the primary reason for that, is because he was repentant, and we'll get to that uh, at the end of the message here this morning. Uh, but David and his petition of right. Uh, look at uh, verse number eight. Verse number eight, if you will, in the chapter. It says, David also rose afterward, and he went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou the men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen now that the Lord had delivered thee uh, this day into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee, but my eye spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. Look at verse, skip on down to verse number 15. And the Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. And so David, after he showed the restraint, Saul had exited the cave. David went out of the cave as well, and he saw Saul in the distance, and he hollered to him, and he said, Hey, Saul, I could have killed you. I could have taken your life. But God restrained me. And I said, how am I supposed to stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed? And so I showed restraint in not taking your life. And then he made this statement. The Lord, therefore, be judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. David yells out to Saul in humility, and he lets him know that he could have taken his life and that God had restrained him, and that God ultimately is under, has got it under control, and he's going to give it to God. Man, there's a great lesson in that part of the story right there. If you're like me, you want to take that bull, and uh, you want to take a big stick or something. How many ever used a cattle prod before? Anybody? Cattle prod. I had one used on me before. Uh, I've used them a time or two, uh, but uh, uh, my dad had one back in Newberry Springs, California. We never had cattle. Uh, I think we had big pigs that he used it on a couple times, but but uh, of course, um, let me see. Let me show you how this works, Sam. Uh, but a cattle prod is to direct the cows because they're big animals. They're big. They can be big, stubborn animals. And uh, man, I want to. I want to take and, and whap that cow to get it moving. Sometimes you can't, you can't move them. Uh, anybody ever been cow tipping before? Yeah? Miss Sharon? That's <laughs> Miss Granny G. That's, that is kind of funny. Okay? Uh, uh, we don't have any guys that have been cow tipping, but we got a couple of ladies in here that have been cow tipping. In the middle of the night, the cows, I don't know that they sleep, but they're, it's easier to get them, I hear, at that time. I don't. I I tried to do it, but I never could get the cow down. Um, but anyway, so but cows can be stubborn, and and uh, the the whole idea here is that I want to be. I want to. I want to. I want to be in control of that. I want to take the bull by the horns. I want to. I want it to do what I want it to do. But David had a spirit of release. He says, "The Lord judge." 
the Lord's will be done in the situation. I give it to you, God. And no doubt in my mind that there are some people in here this morning that, man, you've, you've got situations in your life. And, uh, and I believe God gives us brains and common sense and His Word for guidance and stuff, and, and He wants us to use good judgment. But there are some things that when it all boils down to all said and done, God, this situation is yours. I give it to you. I let you be the judge of it. There's nothing that I can do. I, I, I can't move this bowl on my own, God. I give it to you. So often we want to respond in the flesh. We want to uh, resort to my will, my, my stubbornness. And, but D David didn't do that. Had David done that, had David taken the bull by the horns, it would have been the knife in the wherever of Saul. But he said, the Lord judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of my hand. Some of you need to get home uh, alone uh, with the Lord and say, uh, the Lord's judge between uh, me and thee. The Lord judge in this situation. And uh, you need to say this especially, God plead my cause, deliver me out of thine hand. Some of you need to do that. Think of Brother Bill. He's used a term before. He calls it a no-holds-bar prayer. And, uh, man, I, I believe we ought to have no-holds-bar prayer. God can take it. Whatever situation it is that's going on in your life, it's not too big for God. He can take it. He's a, he's a I hate to say, he's a big boy. He's a big God. And any problem that you have, it can be cast at his feet, and he can handle it. You can't, but he can. And we see David in a spirit of surrender here, turning it over. He said, uh, I'm, I'm right. Uh, my conscience is clear. God, I give it to you. I'll let you be the judge. In 1628, the British Parliament sent what is called the Petition of Right to King Charles I. The petition sought recognition of our principle, of, of four principles. It's this. Number one is no taxation without the consent of Parliament. Number two, no imprisonment without cause. Number three, no quartering of soldiers on subjects. And number four, no martial law in peacetime. These were just some strategies, some requirements uh, for proper, uh, proper ruling here. Afterwards, when the petition was granted, it was tradition that the representative of the crown would respond, let right be done. That's a great rule of thumb to live by. In 1908, George Archer Shee, uh, a 13-year-old cadet at the Isle of Wight's uh, Osborne Naval College, he was falsely accused of stealing a five-shilling postal note from the locker of a fellow cadet. His family fought it to the highest courts of the land, and they won by using this petition, the petition of right. Now, I'm thankful for something in our... In a, the, the law of the land in our innocent until proven guilty. And that's special. That's, that's good. And if you're innocent, you don't have to worry about anything. David understood that. And in, in, in this story here, the plea that David is giving to Saul, in essence, before God, is this. 
David is pleading, Saul, let right be done. I'm innocent from any transgression that you're trying to muster up against me. I'm innocent in the eyes of God, and God knows it, and I give it to him. Christians, we ought to live knowing that we are walking in truth and righteousness. And a benefit of that is that God gives boldness in doing so. A clear conscience is a soft pillow. Adrian Rogers said this, he says, There is no greater uh, torment than an evil conscience. David had the clear conscience. Saul had the evil conscience. He continually followed the flesh. He continually did what he wanted to do in his own stubborn will, trying to take the bull by the horns, trying to do things. David said, God, it's all you. God, I give it to you. God, you're the judge here. Man, I got so much here in this message here. Uh, Let's see, I'm going to wrap it up though. David proves himself as a man of honor. David makes a plea for Saul not to be influenced by a wrong. And David uh, shows his merciful heart in uh, 1 Samuel 24, verses 10 through 11. Uh, David was a good man. David was a spirit-led man. And uh, David, uh, we see, uh, requested for Saul to search his heart and to let God be the judge uh, in his life and in the situation here. And then uh, in the story, we also we see the unrepentant prophecy of Saul. In uh, 1 Samuel 24, in verse number 16, it says, And it came to pass, when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said this, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. Now I show this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord hath delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, uh, for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now behold, I knew well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. I thought about this character. We, 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 we see Saul we see, Saul, we see Saul sorry. I don't believe we see Saul repentant. And uh, there's some characters in the Bible that uh, I want to give you here that uh, I believe had sorry, were sorrowful, but they were unrepentant. First one I think of, who, who can think of uh, an unrepentant character of the Bible? Uh, somebody that uh, they were sorry that they got caught, but not necessarily that they did wrong. I think of Pharaoh. I think of Pharaoh teaching the kids. We've been through all the plagues there. And, and every time God brought a plague, now I understand that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, okay? But uh, every time that God brought a plague along to the, to the people of uh, uh, Egypt, um, he said, okay, I'm sorry, I'll stop, I'll let your people go. But did he ever do it? Well, finally, after the 10th one, um, I think of uh, a couple more here. I think of Judas in Matthew 27 who walked with Jesus and was the treasurer of the disciples there and handled the money, the finances, and ministered with Jesus and still betrayed him. I think of Esau in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 through 17. It says, who for one morsel of bread of meat sold his birthright. For ye know that afterward, when he would have inherited a blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. 
Christians, uh, we need to act on remorse with repentance is the point, I believe, in application here that we need to understand. In Christianity, even after salvation, uh, we need to experience repentance. When we've done wrong, when we've transgressed against the Word of God, when we've transgressed, done something uh, wrong, uh, we need to seek repentance, and God will give that. It's not just, I'm sorry, and then going back and doing the old filthy, stinking thing we used to do. Oh, God will give grace, and He'll give victory through hearts of repentance. I believe that... Uh, Saul did not have that repentance that he could have had. David is a prime example and character of somebody who did have repentance. And we're not to the story yet, but later on you know that when he sinned with Bathsheba, and initially what he tried to do, he tried to cover it up. Oh, I'm sorry for the consequences. Uh, I got I to gotta, I gotta take the bull by the horns and try to cover it up here. Bring Uriah back here so I can put him in the forefront of the battle or make him drunk so that he'll go in and spend time with his wife and, and uh, I won't get caught here. Well, finally, when he got done with all the cover-up, Lord, I'm guilty. I've sinned. And the repentance took place and we got chapters of Scripture where David is calling out in repentance to God. One of the, one of the psalms we, songs we sang uh, this morning was that repentance. Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so we see that uh, the unrepentant prophecy of Saul in the passage there. And lastly, we're done right here. Number four, the fourth point of our chapter, we see the non-resolve stalemate. The non-resolve stalemate. After Saul had admitted that uh, he was uh, well, he, that he's wrong, that he could have been killed, and David was a good man, I don't believe that he's repentant. He still chased uh, David after this, uh, but in verse number twenty-one, this is what Saul says to David: "Swear now, therefore, unto me by the Lord, that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me, and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house." And David swore unto Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men got them up unto the hold. I think about this initially, although I, I think there's an initial, you know, first thought as I read this. I'm, yeah, Saul, he showed remorse, he showed repentance, but it's a selfish prayer. It's a selfish request that he asked, and I think you'll agree with me. It seems like a noble request, but it's laced in selfishness. He says, don't cut off my seed after me. Don't destroy my name out of my father's house. Saul was more interested in his earthly position and in his earthly outlook rather than the care of the spiritual welfare of even his family, if you think about that. And so at the end of this chapter here, there's a non-resolve stalemate. And in conclusion to this chapter, David wisely, he goes back to his hideout while Saul goes back to his palace and uh, God in his goodness guides David each step of the way. And let me say this, Christian, as we're yielded to the Spirit of God, he'll direct you. It may not always be easy. It may not always be an, an easy choice. But it'll be worth it if you know that it's God. He'll direct every step of the way. And that's exactly how he directed David in this uh, story here. There's so much more than the protection of God in this story. Uh, and at uh, this time, David has no children. 
uh, but he carries with him the very DNA that God had chosen to bring the Messiah into the world. Uh, Jesus was from the lineage of David, and David carried that DNA that God wanted in uh, the Son of uh, God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man. And so God had chosen to bring the Messiah into the world along with virtue and patience. I'm going to close with these two scriptures here. The Bible says in Psalm 27, verse 14, Psalms of David, David says this, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. How many have heard that before? I hear it on a radio station frequently uh, and almost to the point where, okay, I get the point, wait, I don't want to wait. I'm going to wait for you to shut that verse off there. Uh, Psalm 37 verse 7 says this, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself. And let me remind you, David is the author David, the one that is fleeing from Saul, that had the opportunity to kill the enemy, he says, wait. Wait on God. You know, there's a difference in waiting on the Lord and waiting for the Lord. When we wait on the Lord, we pray, we meditate, and we apply God's Word. When we wait for the Lord, we are expectantly believing that eventually God's plan will come through. May we, as people of God, be a people that wait on the Lord and for the Lord. Hope you're encouraged with, the, <clears throat> with these principles of David's life here. May we be a people that wait on and for the Lord. Let's bow. God, I thank you for... The example of David is a man after your own heart, Lord, a man that sought you, was yielded to your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to glean what you have for us from your word. Lord, so much I, was, uh, I, I, I did not mention that uh, in uh, sake of time, God, but your word does all the work. And I pray that you uh, would do the work that only you can. Uh, Lord, I pray that we'd be strengthened, encouraged, encouraged as believers, as new creation of yours as we've been saved, those that, that have been saved in here, uh, that uh, we would be yielded to your spirit, we'd be yielded to your word, and uh, we would do that which is right for your honor, for your glory. God, I pray that you'd help us to wait when we don't see what you're doing. Uh, may we have faith in you and a confidence in you to fulfill your will in our lives. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, we will have a time of invitation. And I may ask you to stand this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. And maybe it is that you need to respond to the preaching of God's word. God spoke to your heart in some capacity this morning. I want to encourage you to come to the altar here and, and take a knee and, and pray. Commune with God. Do business with Him. Maybe there's a decision that needs to be made. Maybe a decision to be yielded to His Holy Spirit. You need to surrender that flesh. The Bible says, Paul says, I die daily. This old flesh needs to be crucified on a daily basis in surrender to God. Two most important uh, days of, of, of a Christian's life, salvation and surrender. Can I ask you, are you surrendered? Today, did you come to church surrendered? To God? 
May we be a sensitive people to your spirit, Lord. May we be an honorable people for your honorable people for your glory. May we be a righteous people for your use. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't want an invitation to go by without asking a very important question. It has to do with eternity, knowing for certain that heaven is our home. The Bible says that you can know, a person can know that they can spend eternity in heaven. God's word says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I like to ask this morning, is there somebody who's, who would say, you'd be honest to say, Pastor Sam, I'm not certain that if I died that heaven would be my home. If you could pray for me, I'd appreciate that. I'd, I'd like to get that settled. Is there somebody here this morning, you'd raise your hand and you'd say, I'm not certain that if I died, heaven would be my home. Pastor Sam, pray for me. Slip your hand right up if you will. Slip your hand up now if that's you. Anybody at all? Slip your hand right up. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Would you pray for me, Pastor Sam? Pray that I'd get that settled. Oh, the most important thing. We're only going to live on this earth a, a minimal amount of years compared to all eternity in heaven if we're saved. We need to get it settled now on this earth. On this earth. When our bodies die, it's too late. It needs to have been settled here on earth. Anybody at all? Would you slip your hand up, Pastor Sam? Pray for me. I'd get it settled. I'd get my eternal destination settled. Slip your hand up. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? All right. 